Hello folks, welcome to another edition of Tantra's Mantra, where we go behind and beyond the tech news headlines. I'm your host Prakash Sangam and founder of Tantra Analyst. IPR patents and licensing were again in the news a couple of weeks ago. I'm referring to three specific stories in the cellular world. The first one was US FTC's antitrust case against Qualcomm. It was pending more than a year with the US Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Case was decided in favor of Qualcomm as many, including me, expected. I've actually written a whole series of articles on this. If you're interested in understanding the full history, I highly encourage you to check it out on my website, www.tantraanalyst.com. The second news article was quite unexpected, I would say, especially considering the current geopolitical situations. It was again related to Qualcomm. It signed a multi-year licensing deal with Huawei of China, which included $1.8 billion of back payments, which was interesting. And you know that made many heads turn. Again, bringing the patents back into the discussion. And third is UK's highest court decided that its judges, the country's judges, can set royalty rates for cellular SCPs, the standard essential patents, and be kind of arbitrator of the royalty rate. That also find it very interesting. Again, all of this brought back the age-old discussion of valuing patents, how to evaluate them, and the connected discussion of patent quality versus quantity you know, which is important, why and such. We have a recognized IPR subject matter expert today with us to discuss all of that, especially the quality versus quantity conundrum. And that expert is William Mansfield from Patent Site. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Me and Will have talked quite a lot on this subject. Uh, I know I'm always amazed by the amount of knowledge he brings to the discussion. Hey, Will, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Will Mansfield. I've been at Patentside for about three years now. And uh, Patentside, we've worked with a, a lot of major companies offering both consulting over the past 10 years and, and also our software platform for analyzing patents and the technology landscape. I head up the, the consulting and, and customer success team. So we've transitioned from pure consulting to software, but still aim to partner with our clients to make sure that, that they're getting the most out of the product and, and really work with them as a, a trusted advisor rather than just a, the support team. So I come from a economics and from a R&D strategy background. So before Patent Site, I was working at a solar cell and, and module manufacturers, one of the, the top ones in the world. Patent Site, we're, we're part of the, the LexisNexis organization now. So who are your typical customers, Will? And I also heard that you work with the European regulators and antitrust agencies. Could yeah, so we have a really good relationship with the European Commission, particularly the Director General for Competitions. So the EU Commission um, used Patent Site and the Patent Asset Index, our, our indicators, to make assessments on antitrust cases. Two particularly were the case of the Dow and DuPont merger and also the acquisition of, of Monsanto by Bayer. In both cases, using Patent Site and the Patent uh, Asset Index to determine which parts of those businesses would be uncompetitive after the merger or acquisition from the point of view of innovation. Very well, especially on patent side, we'll discuss that in detail uh, later in the show. So we know when it comes to uh, 
cellular patterns. In the earlier times, say during 2G days, it was much simpler, right? Patterns were primarily used as leverage and as a partnering tool when companies were negotiating cross-licensing deals because it was in a small field with few very large players doing the invention as well as developing product at the same time. Yes, I think back in the in the day, it was, uh, like you say, seemed a more collaborative approach. I think this is something that you can see happen, not just in telecommunications patents, but, but in some other spaces as well. Innovation in telecommunications will facilitate so many other innovation. It is the groundwork for so many things that will change that I think the value of that technology has grown so much that it brings so much interest, so much focus from companies, from from governments as well, because it's core infrastructure, right? Yeah. And it started becoming an asset for the company with 3G, but even more so with 4G. When it comes to 5G, it has become an outright war, right? Not only just between companies, but between countries as well. And I was reading a report somewhere how the number of patents being applied for and issues has grown exponentially in last like five to six years. I mean, it is unbelievable. And many industries, not just cellular. Yeah, exactly. It's not just to protect a single invention anymore. There's there's so much strategy that, that comes around IP. I mean, it's developed, I would say, country by country, I think. You know, the US and, and Europe used to be more driven by, you know, filing lots of patents and, and, and starting the kind of trend. So, and then Japan and Korea got on this trend of, of the high filing numbers and, and pushing the, the idea of them being assets. And of course, most recently, China. And you, you can kind of see this country level development as this kind of trend of realizing their valuable assets to have, this massive boom in filings, and then slowly a move to thinking, well, these are costing us a lot of money. Are they all valuable? Which ones are important? Which ones are not? And, and then there's a lot of tough decisions to be made. Yeah, exactly. And I think that basically makes the work that you do that important. So I'm sure you, you look at tons of patterns and you know evaluate on a regular basis. At a very high level, can you explain the actual evaluation process? Yeah. So the patent asset index, the metrics that we use are scientifically published and and scientifically developed. So they were, you know, looked at the methods that there are, looked at all the metrics that exist around patents with the attempt of trying to find those that correlate with the value the most. And this was a piece of of scientific research that was done. And and out of this, there were these two key indicators that, that were found. And that's the number of citations a patent receives from later patents and how broadly the patent is protected. The, the coverage. And we use this information and then turn them into our indicators. So the, that citation information, that's quite commonly used to evaluate documents related to each other. So it's, it's very commonly used in, in scientific literature. There's, there's quite a lot of papers about it. It was also the basis for like the PageRank system that Google used to run their search engine as well, where it's the links between the documents that give us an indication of the relevance of any individual document. If a document is linked to more, then it must be more relevant. And of course, there are other factors that affect that. And PatentSight, it's very well 
documented by us that it's the the technology that that pattern is in the the age of the the patent and the practices of the patent offices so the individual rules of the the offices and we do a, a benchmark analysis with this so we say you know what is the average number of citations a patent in a patent's peer group receives and what is the number of citations this patent has received and divide by that average so you end up naturally with an average value of one for this relevance indicator, this citation-based relevance indicator we call technology relevance. And the other part of that is, is the coverage. And here we look at the number of countries which are protected. This tells us not just something about, you know, what is the accessible market for that patent, but also what was the applicant's initial thought about the value of that patent. Because if, if I have a patent and I think it's going to be, you know, the game-changing innovation, I'm going to protect it everywhere, right? I'm not just going to go to one country. I'm going to go everywhere I can. Mm -hmm. And so it gives us an indication of the applicant's own view of what they think the, how strong the innovation is. And we weight this by the GNI of the countries. So, so the US ends up getting a, a value of one and say China ends up getting a value of 0 0.6 because the GNI of China, the gross national income of China is about 60% of the, the US. Okay. And we need both of these to have a, a strong patent. We need a high technology relevance and a high market coverage in order to have a, a strong patent because we need a strong innovation that is protected in some countries so we can leverage that innovation. So we multiply these two together to get our, our quality metric. And we do all of that on a patent family basis. So we do all of that on the, the kind of grouped up level of a, a single innovation. We use the, the EPO simple patent family definition for, for this. And that's basically what our methodology is. All of that's written up in a published scientific paper, which has been peer reviewed. So it's completely transparent. Anyone can, can go and have a look and have a read and, and see the research that has gone into it and the validation studies that have come out of it as well. There's a lot of uh, further research that, that we and, and others do in that space as well to uh, confirm and check those indicators versus you know, new information and the changing ecosystem. And I think that's really important as well, because if I give you an indicator and if I say you know, this pattern is more relevant than this other one, I'm going to have to explain that. I'm going to have to, you know, explain to you why that is the case, right? The director general competition using it. I mean, of course, they had to fully understand it. And they, they ended up writing a, a like 900 page paper on how they tested it. Because they had to stand in front of a judge and explain why they're using the patent asset index to then tell Dow DuPont that they had to divest this company. And we're talking about billions of, of dollars in businesses. So it needs to be 100% sure that whatever they're saying is founded in, in fact and is well thought out and, and makes sense and is arguable. Yeah, thanks for the very nice explanation on how things come up. I think the beauty of it is the issue is so complex, but you basically boil all of those complexities in a single metric that makes it extremely easy for people to compare you know, companies or countries against each other and come up with a value score. I think that is a powerful option for looking at the whole patent regime and the leadership uh, in terms of technology, innovation, and others. So I think that's that's pretty impressive. And then and knowing that it's been evaluated, scrutinized by many recognized organizations, and it's been uh, used by them and approved by them, and that 
that adds another layer of credibility to the, what you guys are saying and you know this number that you come up with so you know when you look at companies they are really really fond of claiming how many thousands of patents they own right it's, I, I, it's yeah. always the question whenever i i talk to someone particularly a technologist yeah you look at their portfolio and then you tell them how many patents they have active patents, patent families, they always tell me, I thought it was bigger than that. I thought we had a bigger portfolio than that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and almost yeah. always they're quoting, you know, some, some publicized material, which, and the number's not a lie, but it, it's like every single patent application they have ever made in ev- every country, granted or not, maintained or not, you know, then multiple counts because, you know, you're looking at that in every jurisdiction as well, not just counting inventions. So you get this massively in inflated number that people have in their mind for this, which is just a massively unfair starting point for, for comparing one company to another. There are a lot of just noise patents out there, right? I mean, there are just patents, some that are just ridiculous. And I'm sure any standard essential patent is probably more valuable than the least valuable random patent from our selection. But that's not to say every single one of them is then the same value as each other as well. It's all a scale and some things are are more fundamental, right? And the patent science index that you mentioned that you guys do, you know, things like that become really important. In terms of patent site index, I, I particularly loved one of the charts that you had prepared for, I think, a webinar or somewhere. It was basically a chart plotting the volume that companies have in terms of patents and then how the patent site index looks at them and, you know, ranking the companies based on uh, the index itself. And I think you, you uh, updated and published a blog about the new, uh, new chart as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we did that a couple of years ago, I think now, and we updated it very recently. I think I often go to this analysis when explaining to someone about patent site and the patent asset index, because you can really see the different strategies these companies are, are operating from this analysis. I mean, if you just take, like you say, on the vertical, we have the competitive impact, the quality on the horizontal just the number of active patents. So just the size of people's portfolios. Quick note to our listeners. I'll include a link to this chart in the speaker notes of the uh, podcast. So make sure to check it out. Sorry, go ahead. No problem. That's a really good idea. Yeah, the vertical is the, the competitive impact, the quality, the horizontal is the portfolio size, the number of patents. And then the bubble size is the product, the multiplication of, of those two axes. That means... You can have companies at very different positions in the, in the analysis, but with exactly the same bubble size. So someone can have a, a really large portfolio, but with a very low quality, or a very small portfolio with a very high quality. And each of these could potentially you know, have the same, the bubble size, the patent asset index, so have the same portfolio strength, you would say. And particularly if we look at the outside, the highest up, the furthest with the largest portfolio and the one with the biggest patent asset index, you have interdigital with the highest quality of the, the set, Qualcomm with the highest patent asset index, the, the strongest portfolio, and Huawei with the biggest portfolio, but the lowest quality. And these you know, are very different strategies that these companies are playing. You know, interdigital is making all of their money through licensing, right? So every single one of their patents needs to be something that they can license out. You know, they are just 
assets that they're they're licensing. Whereas as Huawei seems to adopt a very different approach of filing as much as possible, you know, marking as much as standard standard essential as, as possible to see, you know, I have the largest portfolio. I mean, they're an operating company. They they do need to to protect, you know, their their devices and make sure that they're able to to operate in their space. But they think they take this to an extreme. And then you end up with a much lower quality from that. And I'm sure within there there are some high value inventions, but they're just so heavily diluted by everything else that is filed. Yeah, true. I think especially if you look at the progression of the number of patents, especially if Huawei has filed, it has kind of almost peaked in the last two to three years, I think. It has grown up exponentially. And uh, as you mentioned, you need to balance a little bit on both sides as well, right? especially if you're claiming uh, yourself to be a technology leader or the industry leader, you have to have high quality patents, but you also have to have enough of them so that you can assert the technology leadership and innovation leadership, right? Exactly. I mean, if you take the extreme of that and take a, a startup that's very good in one particular space, they may only have 10 patents. They might be extremely strong. They might have extremely high value assets. But if you only have a small portfolio, you're likely to run into to problems. You're likely to run into issues of you know, being able to effectively leverage those patents particularly if other companies are developing in the space, because they will start patenting innovations that are surrounding your patients and make it probably very difficult for you to commercialize them. So you need to have not just those high value ones, you need to have parts around that in order to build out the technology. And, you know, if you're really going to bring something to market, if you're really going to develop something to the point of it getting in the hands of customers and, and and being across the whole value chain, then you need to have not just those key innovations, but you need to build them out to a point where they are functional products, right? And so just having a handful of, of patents or just a few, you don't just expose yourself, but you also are not then as capable of bringing something to, to market. Yeah, you need to balance these things, right? You need to have both of these things. You need to have the quality and the quantity in order to, to, to really be a, a strong player. And, and that's why the, the Patent Asset Index is so, so helpful because it allows us to create, a, have a system for ranking players, taking both of these aspects into account. Yeah, and I think Huawei at one extreme of uh, quantity and then... Um interdigital at the other extreme and then Qualcomm being you know having tons of patents a lot of them being very important so they had a very high patent site index right the ranking changed from your last version to the current version but I think Qualcomm was still at the top and then followed by interdigital Samsung and others right exactly yeah so so Qualcomm is still at the the top of this ranking by some way I would say by I think they have an extra third on top of the next highest players, which were, you know, Samsung and, and Huawei and, and LG and such, and continuing to develop. And you can see if you, if you look over time that the development earlier that has stead Qualcomm in its position today, right? So they've started with early innovations and they continue to grow. The others that mostly started later, I mean, there is Nokia and, and such, which, which had early growth as well, but obviously... Nokia then didn't manage to sustain that development the way Qualcomm did. Yeah, exactly. I know you have to invent early, which means you have to invest quite a lot of uh, money, resources, and you increase the risk by that much, right? So 
Right. And then if you invest early, then you basically build a very strong portfolio, but not only just invest early, but keep on investing continuously so that you keep the leadership. So that's another important thing that you mentioned. It, it's not who is number one or number two or number three, but by what margin, what is the amount of lead between the companies? That also is critical and key to look at. Right. And yeah, that they're maintaining to, their... Yeah. trajectory as well right because i mean it could be that someone was the leader and and they're not maintaining that's not what we see here it's a very competitive market it's it's more what you see from from nokia say in the analysis that for the last five years they've basically had the same pattern as index went from number two to number five because everyone's overtaken them whereas you see qualcomm to have this big lead and maintaining it 5G for a lot of people comes out like a brand new technology and such. But when you're developing a technology, it's not one moment where you spur up and develop everything. It is a multiple years, you know, even a decade worth of development to reach a stage that 5G is now and and it is continuing. If you look at 5G itself, it's only beginning right now and multiple versions of it focusing on different parts. Yeah, we were having this discussion in the office recently about scientific research eventually getting Nobel Prizes and such. And we were talking about the blue LED, the guys got the, the Nobel Prize for in recent years, many, many years after actually putting down the groundwork for that, right? Because it's a technology that facilitates so many other things that at the point in time of the, the research that when you first start with something, when you first start with LEDs and, and the different color spectrums, what was possible from it wasn't really as clear. And it's only the continued investment of, of companies and researchers that has brought it to the point that we have now of the abundant uses that we do for the technology. And um, telecommunications is a much bigger example of that, right? Yeah, exactly. The years of fundamental research getting into that stage, you know, before everybody recognizes the importance, I think that is right. even more applicable to uh, 5G, for example, because everybody claimed to have some sort of patent. I mean, if it's such a vast field, obviously, if you invest enough, you can get some position. But, you know, when you look at 5G technology itself, very key building blocks, which make what it is now today, you know, in terms of efficiency, in terms of how it can address many, many things that the previous generations could not address. And then people build on those, you know, applications mm-hmm. and others, which are important, but fundamental technological pillars, if you call them, those are much more important than the applications that come later. And I, I think that's what I like about the patent site index is it values those fundamentalness of these uh, technologies and patents much more than latter ones, right? Exactly. And And that's fundamentally how it's built, right? So if we see that something has ended up creating a lot of subsequent innovations that are strong and so on, then the patent will be given a higher technology relevance. So it is fundamentally Uh, designed around that premise that uh, we want to identify with the metrics those patents that that are seminal by nature right and it's really amazing to see how people discount that this fundamentalness and discount the basic uh, research that gone in in developing this beautiful piece of art be it 4g or 5g and you know claiming why you know licensing fees how to be paid because these were invented years ago because what we are seeing today in action is built on those basic principles which were invented. And somebody who invested at that time, they took 
an enormous amount of risk without knowing what the reward would be, right? So I think in that way, patents are a great way for innovators to monetize all the investment they're doing, all the risk they're taking, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's a huge risk for these companies. And, you know, now we can we can clearly see the opportunity that there, there is in 5G. But I mean, 10, 20 years ago, it might not have been as clear to people and, and I think wasn't as clear to people about how it would be fundamentally game-changing. And you see that, that similarly with, with people investing in, say, autonomous driving now as well, that, that everyone is trying to get to the point of them being the, the one to have a, a concept for autonomous driving that functions because it's so fundamentally will change the problem that exists of, of moving something from A to B and the, the work that goes into that and the human resources that go into that, that it will just completely change society. And 5G definitely goes into the, the same box as that, right? Yeah. So just to summarize, if you will, patents, it's quality matters versus quantity, but you also have to have enough uh, of quantity in with quality as well. And you have to have invested in technology aspects well in the early stages and invested and developed the fundamental building blocks of any technology to really claim the market and technology leadership rather than just having huge number of somewhat used patterns, right? So that basically a sense of the quality versus uh, quantity conundrum. And I think if you're able to, to do that, if you have a, a process for being able to assess that, then the information that you get out of the, the patent landscape, the, the insight that you can get about technologies, your competition, what the whole market is doing, new entrants to your space is so invaluable for everyone. And so that's what we're trying to do as a, a company, make that information accessible to everyone so we can really cut through the noise and take away some valuable information out of that patent landscape. And I think Patent Site Index does a great job bringing all of that together in a single, easy to understand number. It's a clear measure for companies to compare against and even countries to compare against each other in deciding the technology leadership and innovation leadership. Exactly. Yep. All right. Thank you very much, Will. It indeed was a very interesting discussion. Thank you very much for all the details you provided, especially about uh, valuation and the patent site index that you guys do. Really enjoyed it. Again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. All right, folks. That's all what we had for you today. As I mentioned, don't forget to check out the patent site index slide that we talked about in the description of the podcast. I think that's very insightful and I think you'll find it very helpful. Hope uh, the whole discussion was very informative and useful for you guys. If so, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you are hearing this on. I'll be back soon with another interesting discussion about another interesting tech subject. Till then, bye-bye.